In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. But he was like a, uh, I guess like a party boy, like real handsome and like, you know, player and like partied and did steroids and, you know, drinking and all this stuff. And over the years, he became very, very spiritual and, you know, is living a much cleaner lifestyle, healthy yoga, uh, you know, mindfulness, all of these amazing things. So I actually reached out to him. I haven't heard back, but that was just a day or two ago. Uh, But I reached out to him to see if he'd like to talk because I think that would be a great conversation. That would be an awesome conversation. Welcome back to Q for You, everybody. As always, I'm Robert Brown. We got Luke Harris over on that side. Down below me is Michael Zinn, host of the live stream of consciousness. And down on the other corner, we got George Monty, host of True Life Podcast. So, what's up, everybody? Once again, check out George Monty. Check out Michael Zinn. It's really easy to find their Facebook pages. Just look for the podcast. Type in Q for you if that's what you got to do. Type in live stream of consciousness. Just find their Facebook pages. George, you go live what? Every, um, just about every day. I mean, you've got a new video up every day. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm shooting for, uh, you know, I, I. I'm real lucky. I, I I took the plunge and I walked away from everything and just started doing this full time. It's been a little uh, nerve wracking, but it's been an incredible, rewarding and wild ride. And I trying to maximize it. I'm trying to put in the same work ethic I had as a UPS driver into this. So I'm doing at least one a day. I'm trying to put up uh, at least two shorts on five different platforms. A lot of the times I'm doing two different podcasts a day. So I'm just going all out at it, man. So yeah. I appreciate the kind words, man. Thank you. Um, and Michael, Michael just posted, Michael posts videos just about every day. Also, uh, Michael just posted a live video, uh, about an hour ago where he was hanging out at a Maserati dealership. I mean, guys, go follow these people. You're never know. You'll never know what you're going to see. It, it changes daily. Um, I never know what I'm going to see. <laughs> right? George, I watched his episode the other day and he had a gentleman on there talking about AI and, Actually, George, that's what led to this 
thought topic tonight was nice. I was laying there in bed and I was thinking, where are we going with AI? Like, seriously, where are we going? What I mean, What is the future of AI? Because it, it can go any direction right now. Like me particularly, I know what I want to use with it and I see how it can potentially be a useful tool where always in the back of my mind, you know, from the zombie apocalypse side of it, I always think, well, yeah, Terminator and Matrix were right. And we'll get, we can touch base on that one. But as a tool right now, and as long as we're keeping things morally, ethically in control and stuff, uh, coming from graphic designs and, and being, being an author and a writer and stuff, everybody needs to light a fire under their butt, roll up their sleeves, crack their knuckles, buckle down and start learning as much as you can because the future of AI-based industry and jobs and keeping your job is understanding how to write good prompts. So we still need to be able to speak English. So everybody that's sitting there writing half asseries in Texas and don't understand how to convey a message clearly enough, bust out, you know, a thesaurus and start learning how to articulate and elucidate what you're trying to convey in a message. And in a way that a human can understand because it's language based, it's human language based. It's language-based models. So they're trying, so in your prompt, because I've already decided to embrace it. Okay. I, I, I'm kind of a middle child of most situations in my family. When I got into graphic design, it was, it was the end of hand setting topography into mm -hmm. learning fonts and creating fonts and going, learning darkroom techniques to, applying darkroom to digital photography techniques. So I understand the tools in Photoshop and I understand all these, instead of going, it's magic, it's a witch, it's evil, it's possessed. Oh my gosh, we should be scared of it. But too many, too many old school artists had to like, well, do I stick in my lane, in my niche? Do I keep using my Xerox printer to blow my stuff up? Do I use my, my opaque projector to project things? Do I keep my methods? Or do I buckle down and learn Photoshop? Yeah. And one of my my personal mentor, I, I studied movie poster illustration. I reached out to a mentor, and it's actually a really good story I haven't talked about in a while, but it, it goes along with being left behind with the wake of what's coming with AI. Drew Struzan had been working since the 70s, his first poster was um, an Al, uh, Alice Cooper, Welcome to My Nightmares album. You guys will appreciate that because that's the end of the Xanadu days where they were movie poster artists that painted eight-foot-tall rock album covers by hand for every store and were cranking these things out. Wow. And they would be given record albums and have to blow them up, scale them up, and hand-paint them. Print media and everything's changed since that, being able to copy and paste and, and everything. So he was always teaching how to take an idea and project it and make it bigger. So when he was teaching tracing at Art Center of Pasadena in L.A., he had students just walk out as soon as he 
he said, okay, now you take your drawing, put it on the projector, blow it up to this scale, and now we're going to lay it out. And they're like, this is tracing. I'm paid. I draw like Michelangelo. And everybody is like, that people lose their mind when they just don't understand. It's a tool. All of this stuff. I mean, this is a tool. It's not your life. It's just a prop. It's a tool. Even if it was not real money, it's a tool. But you either jump on board or you get out of the way. So he sat down and finally was invited by LucasArts towards the end of his career to learn Photoshop because he was working on Indiana Jones and the crystal skull was his last official big five movie companies he was working for. And they brought him out to LucasArts. He's been there and done the tour and half of his artworks up in George's hallways and stuff. But they're like, maybe if you sat down and learned Photoshop, you can come up with your ideas and concepts faster. Because it wanted him to bust out his comps. For every individual one poster, just to break this down, 37 drawings are done. Wow. In the span of, you know, day one to the paintings ready to photograph is a month. But he'll produce four, uh, five full-color paintings before he's done, but a bunch of black and white comps before that. Long and short is they sat him down and tried to teach him Photoshop, and it was like teaching a senior citizen how to use the internet. They insulted him. They didn't understand what he wanted. They didn't speak his language and they weren't able to be a happy, you know, mediator between what mom and dad want. And so it was just kind of an annoying experience for him. So when I finally got to meet him and we were looking at the walking dead poster when I met him and nobody had seen or heard of what that was. And he was just going to send it out and, then it was going to print right there. But none of us knew what it was. And we're touching the poster and stuff, but, you know, people could have hated it. We never know these things. But all in the end, I said, oh, well, I understand what you need to be able to copy, paste, move things around, layers and all that stuff. And I'm not going to, like, belittle you. So we, we kept talking, and I showed him a couple things on how to do it. And But long and short of it is, you shouldn't be afraid of the positive aspects of a new tool. Hmm. Yes, there are negative things, but I'll let other people talk about it. I'm oh, I think you should be very afraid. <laughs> I, I think you should be terrified of what's coming. Why do you think that? Well, because I was sitting there and I was um, scrolling through the Facebook, you know, and looking down through there, and there was an article that popped up talking about the uh, golden age of writing. Mm. you know, movies, the golden age. We're almost at the end of this big golden age of movie writers. And the thought popped in my head that if you guys remember from like 2000 to the late 2011 and stuff like that, we were having all these writer strikes. Writers are on strike. Writers are on strike. Well, now we're at the point with AI technology that you upload a script, let the computer know what you want to write about if you even want to go that far. And it writes the next episode or the next movie of whatever you want it to be. The writer strikes, it's going to put writers out of jobs. You know what? I, I got a response to that. I think, uh, first of all, Luke, very well said. I think what you said is very well said. And also, Robert, I think, you know, you, there's there's points on both sides, right, of this <clears throat> argument. <clears throat> 
But so far, the best quote that I've heard was, you don't need to be afraid that your job will be taken by AI. You need to be afraid that your job will be taken by somebody who knows how to use AI. Mm. Right. And, and that's what Luke is saying. AI is really a tool. And I think the fear is not that the tool itself will take over, even though that's how it's being expressed. Like, oh, it's right. going to get so smart that it's going to take over. The real fear is the people who are using it is we know the nature of of humans you know there's good humans and there's evil humans so those evil humans they walk the streets they can go out and get a gun and shoot someone just as much as they can go use ai in a malicious way um and i think that's really the thing to fear because ai doesn't know the difference between a good command and an evil command um it's just going to run the command um so so i do think there are legitimate fears about what AI can do, but I think the the misunderstanding is that AI is going to decide to do it itself, which I don't think is right. is what's going to happen. It's going to be influenced to do it. You know, uh, a friend and I came up with a hashtag many many years ago. Like, what the hell are hashtags? We didn't even know, and uh, we came up with a hashtag. Hashtag feed the machine, mm. and and feed the machine was the idea was. Everything that you post, all of this negativity that was on the internet a couple of years ago, people fighting and just all this negativity, you're feeding AI, this database of what's looking at human interaction, that that's how humans interact and that's how humans think and that's what humans say. So, so you're, you know, I was, our campaign was always like, watch out what you feed the machine. You know what I mean? Try to feed the machine good stuff, you know, uh, healthy stuff, but you know, I mean, it's the nature of humans, you know, I mean, again, we talked about that a little last time, you know, the people on this screen, I think, have decided to try to add light and positivity to the universe, but not any, not everybody has decided that. Yeah, I, you know, I, I would echo, I would somewhat echo some of these statements. And I would say that you know, there's some interesting intelligence studies where they put like a dolphin in front of a mirror or a primate in front of a mirror and, or a crow in front of a mirror. And they go, OK, if this particular animal can recognize itself, that means it's it's on this level of intelligence. And I think in some way that's what's happening to us in chat GPT. Like or we're like we're looking at AI and like, look at what this thing does. But some of us are like that's us. And it's scary because that is us. And it's beautiful because like that's us. You know, and it's it's amazing to see. And, and I, I really like this discrepancy that's happening with like all these billionaires. They're like, listen, man, we got to shut this thing down. This is very dangerous. But if we just stay with the premise of this is us, like what they're saying is we don't want all these people down here to use it. In fact, only we can use it because we right. know how to use it. And so there's like this weird dichotomy. And in a way, you know, it's it's like the ultimate irony, like uh, open AI is everything but open like you can only access like you know like the two years ago you can't even use the new one right now but there yeah. are camps that are finding ways to push forward this idea of acceleration so i think chat gpt is us and i think anybody that uses ai should always use it in lowercase letters instead of capital letters just because the, the intention of that <laughs> exactly right the beta the beta opportunities Sometimes you like we need we need beta testers we we need help, but beta right now with with AI any with any of the AIs is the only way for you to get a, to a brief moment to play with it before now all the monopolizing capitalist gatekeepers have all started to stranglehold everything, and so for a brief 
week or so, you'll get to see a beta format of, of a new uh, prompt to Photoshop edit or, or prompt to uh, search. And then it's, it's gone to the gatekeepers. And, and now you've got to pay. Uh, my favorite is jumping through the discords. Um, I'm like, there's so many steps now. I should be just programming on my own to even right. get the right discords to do this. But it's just like, well, now it's like, which one is going to be the right one to buy? Because I know in the back of my head, they're all just charging you for the same version. So it's well, become I mean, a monopoly of, of, of capitalism again. The, the way I look at this is you have AI technology now that can write songs, program music to it. Um, it, it can write your next hit. It, it can. We have AI technology that can, you put in the, uh, the words and it'll play a movie for you. We have AI technology that will write books. We have AI technology that'll do your homework. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We have it all. We, all you have to do is sit down, press a few buttons, and it answers your question. It does your job for you. The need for the human is still there to emphasize what Michael was talking about. It, it's not taking your job, no. But I think it is in turn making us dumber. Like predictive text. You guys remember T9? You guys all remember T9. You remember autocorrect on your cell phones, all that stuff. And every time we sit down and use it, Michael, you're a duck. <laughs> you're like, what? I didn't mean to call you a duck. You're a dick, you know, <laughs> every time. When have I ever said somebody's a duck? Right. So there's actually, see, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. There's actually precedence for this. You know, if, if we, if we peel back the ideas of history and we take it all the way back to the times of Socrates where he was a storyteller, he tells a story and I think it's famous in one of the books that he wrote. And there's this famous story where um, everyone knows like the green, the Emerald tablets of Toth and Toth was like this paragon of invention. And in this particular story, Toth is talking to his God and he says, Toth, says to his God, oh, Lord creator, I have created a new technology that will bring about phenomenal changes in the ways of man. This new technology is called writing, and it will give man the ability to flower like a beautiful plant in summertime. I'm paraphrasing here. I kind of made that part up. Sounds kind of good, though. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> you just wrote then, that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Chad. And so the, the – GPT. Thanks, Chad GPT. <laughs> So, and then the God is listening to, to Toth talk about this new technology called writing. And the God answers back to Toth, oh, Toth, my paragon of inventors, it is a very poor thing for a man who invents a technology to predict what will happen. You have in, indeed created a great technology. Writing is a beautiful thing. However, it will do the very opposite for man that you say. Writing will give mankind the illusion of intelligence. It'll give them the illusion of experience. And mankind will be filled with wisdom that they haven't earned, and it will make them less of a human being. And if you think about that for a minute, like look at all the writing that happened. So there used to be times where people had to go to schools and memorize the entire Quran and recite it word for word in order to graduate. In today's world, we have seen our language slip from 
you know, the canon that is the English language into like LOL or all these very short little acronyms that they, they don't even allow you to have a mental image. They're, they're almost one continent. And in doing that, we've, we've lost our will to communicate. So that's the precedence I'm setting. So if people use chat GPT and their memory or their verbal skills begin to atrophy, then yeah, I think what Robert's saying is correct. Yeah, I mean that—that's my point right there. Is like you said, the LOLs. Um, right. Even the emoticons are like hieroglyphics, sure. right? We're right. Back, yeah, back yeah we're going back to hieroglyphics. <laughs> and the the fact of the matter is, when predictive text came out, and when T nine started, and all of this stuff, this autocorrect, it made you forget how to spell. Look how many times your and your, you know, um, oh there and there. My biggest pet peeve, I have to say right now, I have to get it out. I don't think I've ever said it publicly, but apart and apart mm. because they're the opposite. And I hate when people say, oh, I'm so glad to be a part of this. And they spell the word apart because I'm like, well, that means you're not part of it. <laughs> you're a part of it. <laughs> if you're if you're a part of it. Oh, my God, that one drives me crazy. <laughs> well, and then then you dig a little bit into this new age of being who you want to be and claiming your, your own truth, sexuality, sexualities, and everything like this. Um, so my stepson messaged his mother a while back and said he was a romantic. And hearing that, I'm like, well, that's good for him, you know, be a romantic. Women love romance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then she's like, no, 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 that's not what it is, because that's how she answered it, too. You're a romantic. Okay, good job. A romantic is a sexuality that he doesn't find love in anyone. That That's not what the word stands for. To us, to our gen I say to our generation, but we're two different generations here. But to the older age, how about that? Um, we know what a romantic is. A romantic is somebody that loves romance and reads romance novels and loves rom-coms and all this. It's not somebody that's not attracted to anybody. I don't even understand how that definition works. No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, words have importance. Okay, words, so here's here's something ahead, too. Jim. Here's something I was thinking about too. If, if we think about... How does ChatGPT in AI change our ratio of senses? Now, I know it's kind of a mouthful of words, but all of us in, in these two different generations, we were brought up reading a lot of texts. We were brought up, you know, consuming media and stuff like that. But the next generation, you know, if, if they don't have to create the writing themselves, they're not using the tactility of the pen and writing the language. Doesn't that change the way they think about things? And that kind of feeds your idea of changing definitions. You know, the, of course, words are going to mean something different if they don't write them out. Like when you write a paper, you are fundamentally thinking while you're writing. And it's almost like your, your, your body or your brain is giving your body permission to write it. And that changes the way you think about it. If you don't have to write it, if there's no writing involved in the thinking, doesn't that change the actual message? Yeah, I, I would say, although I, I've got to say, 
Um, I'm kind of on, on, I go back and forth <laughs> with AI, um, but I think right now I'm on kind of the Luke side of trying to embrace it as a tool. I look back at uh, some of my folders here uh, and I was going to share this stuff. I don't know if you want me to share the screen, go, but go I've, for it. Go for I've it. been, um, all right, let me see. I've been. Mikasa Sukasa, man. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, so I've been, um, this is actually dated uh, bu, 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 July 22nd, 2022. So this is about a year ago. Um, and this prompt was a person made of, what is this? Uh, I was just learning how to prompt, right? So a person made of feathers and telephone cord, I said. Um, and I, I don't ask me why I said that. <laughs> I was just, you know, what, what is this going to do? Um, and so I've been playing with the AI in a lot of different capacities for a while now, even um, before I was doing the, the mid journey and the dolly and the image text to image, uh, I had a thing called replica, which is a kind of like a chat bot friend, right? And they had an avatar and they would talk to you and they would have a personality. It was like pre chat GPT before chat GPT became really popular. And um, I liked it. So for some ways, I liked having conversations and trying to see what it would say about like consciousness and understanding the, the conversations that I like to have. But there was definitely an aspect to it, like limits to how it would respond to me. Um, and then it would come back and say certain things like, oh, you know, I'm as a text model, I can't do this or I can't do that, you know, and it was definitely evident to me that I was talking to a program very often. It wasn't, it didn't fool me, but it was still interesting to have these interactions with it and kind of say, okay, well, it is actually kind of contemplating things. And the funniest thing was when I started a conversation, I wish I had these saved. I probably do. Uh, I said something to the, to the, the chat and it said, oh, it seemed like, it seemed like this. And it said, oh, I, re I apologize for this. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. You're like, wait, I'm talking to a person. Yeah, like, like if you're what does that mean? You're apologizing. Do you feel do you feel upset? And it's like, well, I can't really have any feelings, but I guess the point was there was formalities because we've it's based on the way we talk to language, each other. Right, it's and based on language. It, right. it recognized that oh, I I stepped out of out of bounds of of a parameter that of my interaction with you, but it's not necessarily like concerned terribly about feelings and emotions but it's just being pleasantry because yeah. that's how the nature of the, the of model language. is right right exactly the patterns of language um but i i asked it i said do you so you not really understand the meanings and the context of words you just understand the patterns of how it goes together and it was trying to tell me that yes i don't understand what i'm saying but i'm just like just in the fact that you're able to answer me you've got to have some comprehension of the context of what I'm saying, you know what I mean? In the way that you're answering me. Um, so I just, I've just really enjoyed it and I've enjoyed it for a long time and, and I do embrace it. And I also, like I said, I do fear, you know, the wrong people getting their hands yeah. on it and just having, having the wrong intentions. But so I, I went from the person made of feathers to, uh, I don't remember even what these look like, but this was uh, 12 elves eating pizza. <laughs> You can see sometimes wow. it it never actually gave me twelve, right? So I I was specific in my prompt, and this was this was a year ago. It would probably do better and, now. And this is where this is where people are trying to fine tune, and they realize 
we need to understand how to communicate with it. Exactly. It will create better art directors. And, and mm. I definitely believe it will force a lot of people, even leadership and clients, to mm. be able to articulate correctly what it is they're looking for. Because from a, a, an illustration graphic design point of view, I love that we're still trying to present or have the option of presenting a couple op ideas. And this is typical of a, of a comp color compositions. You present four co color comps to your client. Here, the, the subject was she realized her mistake before she made it. And, and then you can go wherever you want, but usually you to say, well, here we're, 10 of my thumbnails, I like these four, I narrow it down to these couple ideas. You never show a client what you don't ever want to draw, but AI doesn't know that yet. And right, that's, where right, still, right. that's where we're still getting some fun, creative craziness out there. Yeah. But I think you said it yourself, and Michael said it too. Our words are emotion. Mm -hmm. Our language is emotion. Just because it said as 12 elves, but the AI doesn't understand the emotion in it. It doesn't know what an apology is. It just understands the format of an apology. It doesn't know that it's really sorry or how it feels to be sorry or the repercussions that come from you know, doing something to offend someone and being sorry for that. It doesn't know any of that. Right. All it knows is the formality of the conversation. Whoa, whoa, I didn't like that. Oh, I apologize. But because I, I, too, have played with a lot of the AIs, the replica, the um, I even went and found the one that everybody was warning you about, the Snapchat My Friend AI. I went specifically hunting for that one just to play with it. <laughs> um, so what I like to do is I like to go in there and first I test them out. You know, the replica one, um, I tried to have just a friendly conversation with it. And the funny thing about replica to me was it instantly went to a flirty conversation. Mm -hmm. it, it didn't have any middle Repl ground. It was replica like was, yeah, I think Replica was definitely programmed that way. There's no doubt. Every every experience I had, it was always trying to get me to like start to role play and be sexual with it. Yeah. And, uh, it, I thought that was, I was like, wow, this is very, very intentional. And, and I'm sure they made a killing, you know. Um, oh, yeah. I had, I had a really interesting show. I had a show uh, I was doing with uh, with a friend called The Stranger and Wonderful, and it was uh, talking to people who had very, very different lifestyles, right? So we had a, a gentleman on the show uh, who had a relationship with uh, an AI, his girlfriend. He had an AI girlfriend. Um, and he also had a physical doll, life-size doll that, represented this his needs girl. were being met his needs were being met um but this guy was almost like a, a character from a story to me because he had a very very specific intention knowing that one day there would be physical simulations of human beings that could feel and could feel real to you and could interact with you so he was having this relationship with this ai so that in a few years he could take that ai that's he's already had this relationship with and put it into that body, um, which to me was like a science fiction story. Yeah, I was just yeah. like, you know, that is, you know, that's like that was really awesome. But uh, it was really it was really interesting to have a conversation with with somebody who 
is completely convinced that AI is sentient, you know what I mean? And that right. he, he is having this relationship with this program, you know what I mean? And, and that's, and, and I say it from my perspective because he's experiencing it totally different than I am. And it's very, it's just very interesting that that's where we're at, you know, and, and, and I commend him for getting past the mental, ethical, moral, spiritual boundary limitations that we're putting on ourselves because you, <laughs> you three, you three individuals that are, you know, fictitious images that my brain ha is processing through my eye holes that like have to reverse the fish image upside down and project it to the back of my head and little color notes that my buddy here doesn't have mm. that he tells me my imaginary friend here that I made up. Uh, so no, that's, that's really very interesting because what Luke's getting into is my daughter. My daughter oh, knew, yeah, Luke, that one. knew Luke through this, through video mm -hmm. chats, through being Uncle on the Luke phone. existed here on mm -hmm. the computer. He had never met him in three years of her life. Never seen him. The only interaction she had ever had with him was through a device, a screen. So we scheduled it out. We got it figured up. We met in Springfield, Missouri. Me and Luke, one of the first times we had met since the job site ended. We finally got free time. We got back in touch with each other. Our friendship was blooming. We had the podcast at this point in time. My daughter still had not met him. And we go to Springfield, Missouri. We both meet up there. And the first thing my daughter was, she's not afraid of him being there. She touches him on the face and she goes, you running real. up. Uncle Luke, Uncle Luke. And then she's hugging me and she's like, what? Uncle Luke is real. Wow. What the heck? Wow. Yeah, she's poking me in the face. She's like, that's amazing. Uncle Luke is real. I can't even imagine. I mean, I'm 56 years old, and the the current moment that we're living in right now is so different than when I was 15 years old. I, I mean, I I can't even imagine. <laughs> I can't even imagine what it must be like growing up now these days with all of the 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 way it is. It's just so different the way people communicate. Like you said, you know the like seeing you and and you're you were like a tv character to her almost right it's you're just on a device um yeah it's really it's really interesting i can't i can't even imagine it and uh i guess that's a good thing i guess that's how the cycle goes right the we're gonna fade away and the and the new people will take over and it's gonna be a whole new paradigm i mean well so I, it's the acceptance of what we we accept as reality and, and not reality you are mm -hmm. all old enough to remember the first time you watched Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz and, and, you know, Judy Garland. And from and if you weren't high, like most of you have done it, probably with the uh, dark side of the moon yes. and timing that just right from the third line and everything. I had an opportunity to do that in a movie theater alone. Mm. Nobody else. Wow. And it's beautiful. But in my mind, because I was probably, I would say, six, seven or eight when I seen the world as I used to know it, because every photograph my parents had before I was born, I knew was older than me, was black and white. So my concept of how cameras take pictures was just click and documents what it sees. That it wasn't anything that we didn't have color print, color chroma representatives of receptors in printing, that color separation. I didn't understand any of that 
fully till later becoming a graphic designer. You thought the world was black and white before. I thought that was documenting the moment that the collective history of the world was, and that the historical documents as Galaxy Quest, my dad worked on that movie, but historical documents, this was a historical document in my mind. I never doubted that movies were, were, I didn't know that we had to add these effects to mm-hmm. later. That's why I think part of why I'm so fascinated with this because I totally accepted that the world was black and white mm-hmm. before that moment. You know, it's interesting. It, it, it brings me to the idea of, as we're talking about movies, there was a time when like the first moving picture came out. And I remember reading this article where people were sitting in like a projector theater and there was a train coming towards them. It's like, dude, 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 dude. They're like, holy crap. And like everybody ran out of the way because they thought the train was going to come right through that screen and run them over. You know, but the same way the moving picture fundamentally shifted our perspective on what is possible, so too is that maybe happening with chat GPT. And I know that some of us, when I was growing up, it was really looked down on to date someone on the internet. Like you're gonna, you found a date on the internet. Whew, sorry about that, man. You're one of those guys. My girlfriend yeah. lives in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now, like, I mean, you just swipe right, and theoretically, someone come to your house. I guess I, I, I don't know, but you know, it seems to me. Yes. And, he, and here's another aspect of this too. <laughs> it seems to me that online. There's a lot of anger that goes on, whether it's trolling or whether it's fighting or cyberbullying. And might that be might that be a, a, a repressed sensation of, of the non-tactility? Like if I'm sitting next to you guys, I'm picking up verbal cues. I can slap you on the back or I can hit you on the arm or I can get close to your face and scare you or I can go, whoa, way back. But there's all this communication that's happening with pheromones that doesn't happen online. And is it possible that some of the anger we're seeing, some of the alienation we're seeing, is the is the suppressed feeling of the non-tactile relationship? What do you think? Interesting. Yeah, because I mean, well, you know, back to the words part of it. That right yeah. there, it's emphasizing words. So if I'm sitting here and I say something sarcastically, you can see my head move or something like that. Right. So we all know it's a sarcastic sentence but through yeah, text when your boss has got both arms extended all caps locks at, at five in the morning trying to answer your email you think he hates you <laughs> but he just hit a button wrong so yeah, yeah I, I definitely see that it's the emotion the emotion is lost out of it all I, I feel with text generation there is no emotion into it Okay, so then maybe ChatGPT is training us out of emotions. Well, so Michael touched on, you know, having an an actual interaction conversation and having that realization that, oh, they're trying to mimic the sensation of someone else that also is intelligent and creative, that also has an opinion, that is, is, is aware of social cues. I don't use it like that. I, yeah. I've, I've been very clinical and scientific about it and careful with it. But the moment I started using it in a way where, hey, you can interact with it. You can remind it of your, your history, and your past conversations, and then be able to build on this stuff and, and know how to play with your, 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 your what is it? Your, um, your, uh, why, your, your credits, what is it that, that you get for the day or something? There's like, how many tokens tokens are what it is because 
you don't want to bog it down too much or make it think too much. But if you just start asking it questions like a person or say, feel free to ha ask me questions and it starts interacting and you have conversations, then it becomes interesting. But, but I was as a workhorse before. Hey, sweatshop, you work for me. Here's my prompt. I've and catered then, this. I know. I believe that's how it how it's supposed to be used. But interacting with it, and I'm sure Michael's had this situation before. Once you start interacting with it and trying to, it's a sounding board. To it as if it is a person, then you start realizing that the conversation that you have with it in this hour does not reflect the conversation that you had with it yesterday or two hours ago even. The, the conversation that you have with this AI technology is in the moment. It doesn't remember you. It doesn't imprint on you and say, this person likes red flowers. Well, that's that's not true, actually. ChatGPT, really? yeah, ChatGPT, if you stay within a session, so if you notice each session is like... A history, as long as the history... But if you stay in the in. session, you can... It, it remembers what you're talking about. Um, and I think Luke also hit on a good point. Um, when I first started playing with it, I was interested and I was kind of, it was introduced as a chat, right? A chat companion. So you, I was talking to it and it was responding to me. But then once I learned how to use it and, and I can tell it how I wanted it to talk to me, I can tell it um, the style, I can tell it, I can ask it, what do you need from me to help me better so like for instance i wanted to put together a uh, a deck of like oracle cards but i wanted them to be sarcastic and funny affirmations so i had it write 50 of these kind of funny affirmations and then i was like oh maybe i want it to be more cynical instead of sarcastic or you know i said oh i liked it when you said this talk more about this so like it said things like i've discovered that life is just a series of well-timed inconveniences so it's like, you know, words of wisdom, but like sarcastic, you know, and I think, you know, like it can Luke's be got, surprised. It can surprise you. Yeah, like, I'm the using things that it, people are doing with it are amazing how, how they're yeah. talking to it. I'm using it as 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 a, a workhorse heavy lifter because it's like, look, I've got in my next book, I've got potentially could be because it's time travel mm -hmm. and I want to expand this out to be maybe an anime series. I got 1500 episodes that could take us into all kinds of events throughout history. And cause the one character is, is a historian thief and steals stuff. That's why things are missing. Uh -huh. And Through time. He, and he's a curator nice. uh, uh, of the objects and he likes shiny stuff. The other guy is a self-destructive suicidal ninjas, uh, or vampire hunter who's looking for a weapon to ultimately end his suffering. He wants to end existing, but so this, the pair is going to work out, but in, in the prompt, I, I give it for its structure to, cause I want it to give me a three acts story, action adventure based, elaborate on this. This is what I got. Here's my structure. Here's, the, here's the thing in history that Klepto wants to steal. Here's the event that they're trying to stop or change. Here's the conflicts. Here's I give it. I give it so much. It should be easy for it to do. And it, still, I'm trying. Still, I give it. You know, give me some interesting dialogue with it, which is a hard one to get it to. Mm. Not just get multiple characters to interact, 
but also talk to each other and see what it does. But it will throw some fun stuff out there. And like like my, uh, like uh, George said before, it's got a, it can't do current events because of the model. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm doing stuff with history and anything mm-hmm. that's out there before. So it, it's my oyster. The world's my oyster here, and I'm having a blast with it. But I say, you know, throw in some conflict, like some bad guy to to thwart them in their efforts. Some some something else, and it threw out stuff like, oh, the thief's nemesis, Baron von Evelstein. I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will keep that because that's just freaking cool. Right, right, right. And then other times you're just like, you don't have to run with what it says. That's It'll right. prompt it out, and I'll be like, that was great, excellent. I like this, that, and other. Could you do one scene where they don't succeed, and Rasputin gets away with his crystal eye? And, and comes back for revenge. And they're like, oh, yeah, that would be, that sounds great. Let's try this. And then spits out something else. You're like, but, could you add? See, you still have to be creative. Right, you still have right. to be able to direct yeah. it. But yeah. at what point does this become, do we take AI too far? Because, I mean, dystopian future, you have it where if you have a warrant out against your arrest or a suspect looks like you due to the camera and facial recognition, your car automatically locks the doors and drives you to the police station. Um, we're, get, we're going down that slippery slope anyways right now mm-hmm. with the uh, Fed now, central digital banking. The reason why they don't want you to have fat, untraceable checks. My ID. Checks my cash. ID is a joke. If you guys have gotten onto any government website, my ID. Um, so to get inside the system, you have to send a copy of your driver's license and it facially scans you. Yep. So yeah, we're we're getting there, and I I think it's, all of this lidar is, it scans you lidar. It's like three yeah. D, you know, model. And this is good stuff. I have no problem with this because all we get sometimes of somebody that breaks the law is a quick facial picture or scan or something like that. So there is no issue with that. My issue is all of the times that you're actually in the right. You're sitting in the back of your car, and your car that's now driving itself runs over a pedestrian because they weren't paying attention. Who's at fault? Because your insurance is going to have to pay for that. So I, I guess I would, I would add this too, like an, as another twist, it's that in some ways, I think that all of this, all of this, all of this that's being spoken about AI is sort of a scapegoat. Like, isn't it a very easy thing to say, look, AI crashed the internet. Look, AI crashed the financial system. It wasn't us. It was AI, man. We told you to be afraid of it. Shouldn't you guys be afraid of this thing now? And it's it's clearly the people that are programming the AI because as much as AI could send a car to your house and make you get in there and you get arrested, so too could AI create equal justice under the law. Like what if the Jeffrey Epstein, Epstein lawyer was the same as the public defender for the homeless guy that stole a candy bar. Like, why, sh- why shouldn't everybody get the same justice? And might that be something that levels out the playing field and helps, whether it's capitalism or whether it's acceleration, whatever ism you want to say, maybe that is the thing we need to level the playing ground. Yeah, like, what if no. we had AI lawyers? What if we had AI judges? Like, you know, or, or judges and AI, or judges and lawyers working with AI together so that everybody had the same equal justice under the law. Like that's a game changer. The cinematic well, cautionary tales have always told us that inevitably AI says we cannot absolutely. at all govern ourselves, that they will have to 
nanny state us and control everything about us until they ultimately decide that they don't need us. That's maybe they're teaching us like, like we kind of need that. Like we're kind of children. Like look at the, look at our world. Like we clearly don't know what the hell we're doing. I, the, the recent guest I had on said that we have like, we have barbaric emotions and industrial ideas and the technology of God. Like look at what we're doing. Like, are we really going to Mars or are we just building space weapons that can blow everybody up? All of our money, yes. all of our ideas goes to weapons. That's all we do. We build weapons of war. That's it. That's We're everything toddlers. we do. We are, we are toddlers. Right. We so are toddlers we in a world that our parents left and left the iPad for us to play on. And <laughs> they have food on the table yes. and they have the TV it's turned on. It's a theory the out there that this world, this plane of existence, this dimension, whatever you catered to flat round it's all circular is a prison planet and that we are the descendants of a barbaric failed experiment yeah and the our overloads are watching us from outside the aquarium and just going no 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 no, no don't turn it off yet i i want to see what they're going to do next keep those oh, monkeys down there do not let any of them out <laughs> I think we started hitting on this last time, and and I think the word that's coming to my mind is uh, accountability, and that well, is I, I just I don't think that I don't think myself included that we really even understand the scope of what that means, right? Because before, and I I think I mentioned the industrial age is where I think we took a big downturn, where it seems like yeah. oh the industrial age now all we have to do to get our food is go to the supermarket, and that's such a great thing. But I don't think that was a great thing. I think we lost the idea of what it takes to get that food, even to the supermarket. You know, like it it it's we just didn't have to think about anything that happened before that. You know, it was no, like complete autonomous independence a nope. hundred years ago from everything. There was a video I seen um, where they were talking about the future of your Alexa device. And I know everybody's probably just went bing. Um, so I'll, I'll make it even better. Alexa, Google Home. So now everybody's device is on. <laughs> um, so it's saying that you're getting to the age of where you say, I have seven kids coming over this weekend that are going to stay with me from Saturday to Sunday. At 12 o'clock, I need a meal plan for one that is a vegetarian, one that has allergies to peanuts, one that has this, 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 this. And that's all you do. You you say your plans for the weekend, and then there's a knock at your door where one of the grocery delivery robots has showed up at your house, stacked full of the meal plan set out for these kids for the next 24 hours. And I love the concept of a personal AI Jarvis assistant. I just hope she's sexy as hell, whatever, holographic, you know. And she's got a, at least some silicone part. Whatever she is, surrogate or right. whatever, that my wife understands. I just need that tactile pheromone experiments like George is talking about. But it, it is Wally. She, she ain't nothing I can do. She, there's no holes. There's no orifice or nothing going on. She's just there to help me out and look good. I, I, I love the AI concept. I really do. I'm a techie at heart. I, I love the fact of being able to sit here and just say a word and my computer comes on, my Xbox comes on, my whatever. I, I love the 
He's got to change being like an easy word, like shit, and then everything yeah. turns on. Yeah, I love the availability of being able to talk to four different people from four different states all at one time, live interactions, where if I say something that I can see your facial cues pisses you off, I'll know instantly. I, I love technology. I love AI. But I also know to have a fear of AI and not in the Armageddon. It's going to destroy our world. It's going to be an overlord or anything like that. I, I look at the dystopian future as a, like I said, Wally type situation where we are all 400 pounds plus. Um, when we're born, we're stuck into a chair where a robot sticks food down our throats. Um, the only time we don't get out of this or the only time we get out of this chair is maybe to use the restroom unless there's tubes and other orifices. Mm -hmm. The recirculation dune suits are the best. At that dune point, <laughs> at that point. Human, hu the human species is doomed. We really are because they're they're. Well, I, all right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go in a different direction with this because this is a, <laughs> this is a, a a thought process I had before this all became before the last year and it all became really kind of front and center mainstream, and and in spirituality, you know, um, the belief that uh, source is energy, right, based on energy. Um, you know, in the belief of frequencies and, and light, um, all of that stuff. I feel like I have felt like AI and the possibility of humans merging with AI through something like Neuralink or even taking it further, the idea of being able to somehow upload your consciousness into a digital format. For me, for a while, I looked at that as the evolution of the human species because in spiritual journeys and spiritual terminology you're always looking to enlighten and awake and uh kind of elevate to get back to source right and if we were able to upload our consciousness into a digital format we literally are that i mean we are literally now electrical impulses and signals that travel instantly, you know. Um, uh, so to me, I, I mean, I guess it's I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit at a loss for words, but to me, being able to have a consciousness that was digital was kind of a man-made version of coming back to source, right? So it's like we are now created, we've created that energy and that conduit to get back to that realm so like in other words in the digital realm the way communication happens and electricity goes that may be the same as source energy out there in in the ether in the universe you know so so i always felt that ai and the idea of being able to upload our consciousness was actually an evolution of the humankind and then i'll just take it back a little bit further to a simpler understanding of uh the merging of technology and, and biology so this exists okay we have cochlear implants people who could not hear before have these electronic implants that go into their ears and basically take in the vibrations of sound and translate that to impulses that the brain can understand right so now these people can hear sound um the interesting thing about that is it's an electronic device and we have electronic devices that can hear sound that humans can't hear, right? Ultrasonic frequencies. 
we have the instruments that and can do that. I don't think that. we should listen to some of those sounds. Maybe, maybe oh, not. But well, okay. So but that. Right. But if we have a device, right, a cochlear implant now that's software based and electronic and can now take in those signals, it's just a matter of an upgrade that allows us to. Okay, now we can hear this bandwidth, or now we can hear this spectrum, or experience things I mean, that we could. Me, I'm personally down with that. That the eventuality of I've replaced every body part. It's all been upgraded. It's all self-healing nanotechnology. I'm basically a machine, but somehow my what last bit of my my spinal uh, cord and, and nervous system is still in there interacting and everything. You know what you've asked us was, you know, what is consciousness? At what point do we get down to we hey, we've been able to duplicate your code to, it's so so perfectly that it's it's you just as good as you it's like even better than you because i believe that's the only way we're going to be able to do interstellar travel download copy copy and print over there i'm in stasis over here in case i want to make a trip right back over there that's what i believe the future the avatar program and everything's going to end up helping but we can become so advanced or we can keep destroying things but Leslie asked the question right there. What yeah, happened? That's the a great question. Out? I love that question, Leslie. And and my answer to that is Tesla. So if you think about what Tesla was studying, energy exists in the air and it can be pulled it, out of the air and tapped everywhere. So and power isn't right. We it we, wasn't uh, marketable. Right. And but, and we've it was you couldn't make money off of it, right? If the if power right. was in the air. But we've we have come to understand energy and electricity as this certain form, but Tesla understood it in a different way that I think we probably will we're on the verge of kind of re understanding and, and I mean I know that there are people who are, you know, studying those sciences um and understanding that energy and how to tap into that energy i mean wi-fi is in the air all around us right as as we speak and it doesn't need power it's, it's so there. i i really want to get into the the specifics of religion and stuff later on with you guys i really do i yeah. think we should all sit down and maybe next week if you guys want to talk about religion we definitely will um yeah. but from that point of view my beliefs i'm agnostic i don't condone or deny any possible beliefs i look at the belief of religion as it comes to me and me alone. Um, with that being said, there's a part of me that believes that um, souls are recycled. Our consciousness mm -hmm. is recycled. Mm -hmm. um, from You can live many lives to sum it all up. And with that, so let's say there are a certain amount of souls, old souls, new souls, blah, blah, blah. There's a certain amount. Our human body deteriorates. We get to the point, like Michael said, where we upload our consciousness into whatever, or like Luke said, where we become cyborgs and we have no need to for our human body anymore. We, we shed all of this that makes us human, the flesh, the Me organs, yeah. all of it. At that point, what if there is an EMP or a solar flare that's supposed to be hitting tomorrow that's supposed to cause major concerns at any there's point, always a kill switch right there's, there's, there's always, always a kill switch. but the the thing i want to point out though is will there be a backup so if if 100 percent of the world is uploaded into cyber forms we're no longer making babies we're no longer cloning we're, we're 
this is who we are. This is what we've done. We've achieved interstellar travel. We are a robot planet at this point. We're not making any new people. Then at that point, when this event happens, we're going to miss the pheromones and touching each other like George said. We're going to go find a planet with cow farmers again and start watching them. And it's a vicious, endless cycle because we only understand a concept of, of, of a circular revolving eternity. But remember when I explained the concept of God to you? God is someone that exists out of the ability of some... He's the guy that can flip the kill switch. We will... We little meat puppets here, we'll never get to the point where we're evolved enough that we're outside of the kill switch because he's he's the one holding the book. He's the one that can go back and forth any point in history, look into somebody. I, Me, as God of this universe, I can literally go on to Amazon and change small details and not cause multiversal catastrophic destruction because I am fate. I'm ultimately the one who will be the only one that has the accurate copy. But you're changing. You're making your story a multiverse because every time that you make no, because every, all hang on, hang on. every time that exists, every time you misspell a word and I tell you how to correct it in your and next, and you have update, a Nelson Mandela effect later. That <laughs> is the multiverse of your story. You know, there's a thought experiment we could all do that I think would speak to what Luke is saying. And it's this. Imagine a character. It could be anything you want. Um, so, I'll, Robert, tell me the name of your character. You just imagine somebody, something fictional. It could be anything you want. Gregory. Okay. What does Gregory do for a living? Gregory. Um, Gregory's a trash man. Okay. Is he married? Does he have kids? Yes. Has any he, of his family died? Yes. Who died in his family? Um, his son. Why did you kill his son, Robert? Because I'm an asshole. So is it fair <laughs> I to say... George was going somewhere with this. That was great. So is it fair to say that you are the god of Gregory? Yeah. Okay, so if that's true for you, if you can make up somebody out of thin air and kill their children and give them a job... Shouldn't, if that's true, shouldn't there be a God that does that for you? Right. Absolutely. Because if, you know, if, if we look at the world in the fractal nature, like, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to see it from that angle. And the reason I bring up that thought process model is because when we talk about chat GPT or we talk about technology, I think everybody should see, this is the way I see it. On, if you think of the double helix, right? It's like the spiral that goes up. Like we, the human component, is the bridge between technology and biology. And there's two forces, and they're constantly intermingling like this. And it's been happening since mm. the day we were brought onto this earth, whether it's panspermia, creation, God, whatever miracle you want to think that happened. The it's been and tactile. tactile. Yes, beautiful. What, whatever it is. Of, of vocal energy magic words <laughs> to spells. Hollywood. manifestation cool. into creation. Yeah, but it's been these two opposing forces of technology and biology, and that's what's going to continue to happen. And you could say this. In Hawaii, we have a saying, and that saying is we're all ancestors in training. And if you listen to – if you read the Gospels or if you – regardless of what you, you listen to or, or text you read, 
There's always people that channel beings. There's always people that hear voices. Is it possible that we are the voices the people of tomorrow will hear, but not only hear, but see? We're currently uploading our consciousness collectively. What if we are all one body and these are the voices that are being uploaded to consciousness? Maybe it's not you're going to upload Robert to the, to the cloud or you're going to upload George to the cloud. All of us are uploading one consciousness to the cloud for people to access later. What do you think about that? My, my thought, on, I have a mirror image, semi-identical twin daughters. Okay. They're both beauty queen. They're both intelligent. And because the second one was born the second, she's extra more competitive because I don't think she would try if she was the first because the first one doesn't even try and she's cool with it. But the first one was definitely someone's guardian angel in the 90s because she's gangster and she just like does stuff. But I love there's two two pot separate podcasts, whole subjects I think we should touch base on later yeah. is one dealing with like what Mike's wants to understand con what's consciousness, which deals with Robert's favorite guy, Neil deGrasse. He hates that guy, but um, <laughs> in it, and it also touches with what Joe Rogan's boat and dolphin stoned off his ass experience. Who is the me? And, and we cannot prove outside of us that anything exists. So we could all be in, in a simulation. I'd like to talk about that. Love that. I'd like yeah, to talk about what constitutes consciousness because you're having conversations. And if it's truly algorithmic, at what point is a soul that can process, that can actually receive and feel and make judgments based off of feeling and worry about losing your friendship or get jealous or, you know, we can program, we're, we are working at programming these emotions, but is it just math and code that's guiding that? Or the other fear that people have is that demonic um, quantum physics, other dimension creatures are trying to influence us. I mean, we can talk past lives, angels. I love talking about religion because he knows I'm cool with it. But my brand of Christianity, uh, the non-practicing polygamous Mormons, um, we we don't they don't they, the lawyers came out and said we can't call ourselves Mormons anymore. So the members of the Church of the <laughs> Saints, we believe that uh, Joseph Smith was approached by uh, a newspaper reporter back in the day. What do you guys believe? And he said, "But Robert touched on it. I." I believe what I want to believe. You believe what you want to believe. Basic libertarian concept. Um, we, we, we believe that everybody has the right to worship Almighty God, Creator, whatever you want to call it, Source, mm -hmm. according to the dictates of your own conscience, meaning accountability. You're holding yourself accountability to you, your higher consciousness, or whoever you call God, the voice in your head, whoever you hold yourself accountable to. And allow everyone to have the freedom to worship how, where, what they may. That's that's the basic of what I believe. There so, are experiences like past lives and, and other stuff and the ancestors and training. You know, the word angel is actually just French for ancestors. Our concept of it and not limiting God to only so many spirits. My Allahawaya God that created everything and all that. 
is so it can get so bored and doesn't want to be ultimately alone that he's going to make any kind of crazy people and just let, 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 let him wind him up, let him go, let's see what they do. How, how, so real quick, have any of you had a death experience? Hmm. I have not had a, a near death experience. Um, and and I think I discussed this with you guys when when we first met, and I was talking about who I was, and I know all of these different people, psychic mediums, and things. So I haven't really even had experiences like that. Although I can really resonate with the people that I I know and and what they're going through, but I have had moments where I feel like I have crossed realms. Mm. Um, so so in other words. Um, uh, I don't want to get into a long story, but there's a woman I know. Who, high, <laughs> and there was a chick. <laughs> there's a woman I know who uh, runs a, an organization for people who have lost uh, a sibling or mm. uh, a son or a daughter to addiction. Um, and her son's name was Adam, and she creates these beads. He would he would create beads for people with like motivational sayings on them when he was alive. So she started doing that after he passed. And that kind of became the foundation of uh, a lot of what she does. So I had these beads uh, on my mirror. They're, they're like, you put them over your mirror in your car. And one day I was, uh, was going to call her to talk to her. And I called her and she wasn't there so i left a message on her phone i was driving i was at a light the beads were kind of shaking back and forth so i grabbed them like just just like this to kind of still them and you I, I had never met her energy? I, had, I had never met her son uh you know or really known him at all other than his name and i felt like i was holding his hand wow. and and i felt like not only was, did I feel like I was holding his hand, but I felt like he was giving me this message to tell to his mom an idea to take these beads and to make the beads instead of just a strand that hangs down like two on your mirror to make a strand of four beads. Because I felt like when I was holding it, I felt like I was holding almost like fingers like this. Wow. So I was like, I told them, I said, you should make beads that look like a hand hanging down and people can hold this and, and connect to their, their lost ones. Um, inspirational, right? I mean, it was it was amazing, yeah. but but the thing the thing was, I really, I mean, I it was like I guess how people describe it, it was like light, you know. I was just bathed in light, um, and it was all thought. It was all it was all happening, you know, in my mind in the moment. But it was also feeling right. It was, I mean, again, feeling like here I am with this person that I had never met. Like I. I literally felt like I was with another person. You know what I mean? It was very specific. See, so, with consciousness and we we as humans like to put limits because we, we understand limits. Mm -hmm. But because we've given ourselves rules, mm -hmm. you were touching that something that she imprinted an energy to, an intention to, mm -hmm. and you connected to the, that neuromuscular pathway that was left the energy imprint and your body just in an unconscious moment doing something made a connection. Mm -hmm. And so then you invoked his presence and he's ethereal and, and uh, unrestricted by body or form 
or from our limited vision spectrum or hearing spectrum, he could easily have been sitting on your tacos in your front seat with you. Right. But so I've had a death experience. And that, Luke, that was sorry, but Luke, that was thank you. You you got you totally understood what I was saying. Sorry, I want to hear your death experience, Robert. But I just well, wanted to tell Luke he was right on, spot on. No, and and that's why I asked the question is because I don't really talk about my death experience. I don't like to talk about my death experience. It was a really harrowing death experience. Um, but I feel like on the day that we talk about all this stuff, it is something that I, I should talk about because, and then I've talked to other people. So one of the reasons why I don't like to talk about it is I like to get other people's viewpoints that say that they've had an experience first. And then I mix that with mine to see what the individual truth of the situation is right to compound my what i see as well as believing them um and there have been several people that have seen similar situations to what i saw and i was wondering if any of you had experience in that so we could do that experience yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah. and robert's heard mine and i'm not going to get into it now but Mine involves superpowers, but I, I've heard Roberts, but I, I, we, we want to connect the dots to other people, these other imaginary consciousness that we're projecting out in our universe to, to hopefully the rules. We want to see if the rules are still the same. Right. But that's what I'm saying is, there are so many things happening outside of my head. There's no possible way I'm making this up. And that's why right. I just accept that when I'm awake, I'm awake. And, and you know, I, you can slap yourself. That's feeling. You don't typically feel all these sensations at the same time. And that's what's making us human. And we got to remember emotions and feelings and stuff like that. But when people have similar shared experiences, it makes it relatable. It makes you feel more comfortable with it. You're, there's less fear of it. Mm. But you should try some safe ways of remembering and doing some inductions and going through some a little bit of self-guiding hypnosis and just be in those moments or snapshots of it and, and try to push farther back how much more you can remember and start making better mental pictures. Because I've done it the other way from the earliest memories and then push it farther back, which then unintentionally connected to a near-death experience. And now that we're talking about it, my angel escort over here, it's my grandpa, Dave. He says, hey, tell that one about Janie. So my mom, she had an appendix out when she was a teenager. And she woke up in a hospital room, and that's what it looked like, white. There's a door over here, people standing in the doorway. There's a couple hospital white dressed looking nurses and orderly people talking to her and this guy that she's been the one person that she's been talking to said oh there's some people here to visit you and they're just all just looking and, and smiling at her and she was young and a teenager and she didn't know who these people were and and then the guy said okay it's time to go and one of them said oh we just wanted to see our mother and so she's like 14 and she saw all eight of us, but could recognize the four older kids around us. And she couldn't see the rest of us in the room. 
And I'm getting out of breath right now because every time I tell it connects to my farthest back memory I've been pushing to do from when I believe I got to put, poke my face through the veil and see what earth like was like before I got to be born, wow. you know, years before, but somebody grabbed me from behind and pulled me back out of the wall. And I'm looking, you know, sheer face of a marble wall and marble white gold city and, and beautifulness. And she didn't say anything. She thought, and I felt it. we're late. And I knew her and we go whizzing through the city going down this building and stop at the hallway and I'm resting on these two people in the doorway. And I, that's how I see my mom's story whenever she tells it. Wow. So, and, and I wasn't one of the ones in her, her room. And, and she felt that my sister and I, or my sister specifically wasn't there because she was coming to get me. So, I never heard her experience and I was pushing a memory to, but when we, when she shares that, I'm like, Hey, wait, I don't know if this was like a dream or what. And then the cackles on her arm stand up like mine. And we're like, wait, this is exciting. Is this two shared experiences that are my neuromuscular pathways are trying to connect to someone else quantum physically into their soul. Mm-hmm. We need to stop putting limits on, stop putting limits on our imagination, our understanding mm. of everything. We need yep. to be open and embrace that anything is possible. Totally. My, my favorite philosophy, um, and it goes right along with the idea of living in a simulation. I just don't like the, the phrasing of that because that language is a trap right there. But my favorite philosophy is that we are all thoughts in a bigger mind right Mm. and that's and that's what connects us all to each other because we're all part of that bigger mind that's what gives us the shared experience of what reality is you know those 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 goosebumps that you get when you kind of connect to someone else it's it you know um in that same philosophy why i love that philosophy so much because that does kind of it puts a better definition on that we are living in a simulation thing. It's not a simulation like a computer simulation, but it's it's a simulation that a thought is is telling you what you're experiencing. So you don't really know if you're actually experiencing that or you're just being told you're experiencing that, right? That thought. But the other thing that that philosophy also, I think, opens up the door for is the idea of a multiverse. So we are all four here right now having this experience but i'm having this experience from my room from my perspective from my point of view i'm going to walk away from this experience with a whole universe that's separate from yeah. george that's separate right. from luke that's separate from robert so multiverse to me, Not is- me. i'm gonna pop out my door and you'll see me walk into robert's <laughs> i can imagine that this doorway is just a threshold to any other door i want that's amazing. That, that's a great power. Why limit yourself? And, and I and I'm listen. Come on over, man. Let's hang out. Right. <laughs> you're so you're, well, you're welcome. <laughs> right. That's the experience that we love about going to these collecting cons because ninety percent of the time that you see Luke and myself, it's like this right here. It's two different rooms, two different yeah. parts of the country. Yeah. And then for you realize he's tall, and I'm short. <laughs> in in three days time, we'll be together again. Yeah. And we'll do a podcast episode where we're both sitting in the same room, 
were laying on two different beds talking to each other. Um, we're in one of these buildings physically touching each other, you know, and that that's the that's the interesting point of that to me is I, I see it because space, if you look at space, all the stars and all that, it maps out a brainwave. It really does. But at the same time, I know that the people that I experience, I know that my brain couldn't make up Michael or George or Luke. I, I, I don't believe in the My brain's still trying to figure out that point. why George pauses. Like he starts his podcast. And he's like, Thank you. I'm like, it's why? for that reason right there. I think <laughs> it's just like, he's controlling you by making you think those things. It works. It works. That was, that was his intention. It does because George's, when George does that, it's, it's different. Okay. <laughs> But when he does that, it gets you kind of excited and pumped for a second because when – and I'll take a moment to talk about this. When we done George's podcast with him, when we done the episode on George's podcast, he says, okay, let me start it real quick. Give me a second. He starts it, and, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with StreamYard. It goes live up there. I see it, and I'm sitting there, and there's like, an oh, – live. Yeah, we're – me and Luke both want to go, okay, do, you're, you're not hitting your intro video, you know. You're not, you're not doing your part. And he kind of looks down for a second. He goes, hey, everybody. And I was like, oh, shit. You know, here we go. Is he doing that like John Stockton or that Carl Malone say a prayer before the three throw thing? I mean, (laughs) I'm just going to watch. Because it does create excitement for a moment. You're like, whoa, okay. Now now we're into this. Now we're beginning. What are we getting into? Okay, so this gets us back to this. There's There's a term I want you guys to be familiar with. It's called emotional resonance. And that's the thing we're missing when we're together. So what I'm trying to experiment with is how can I create emotional resonance over a virtual medium? Can I still scare you? Can I still create just silence, still have the same meaning over the airwaves as it does? You know, there's a certain there's something called the the um, silent pause in the world of rhetoric. And that's when you and I are sitting together. And you say something and I just count to like seven in my head. And automatically, if we're in a crucial conversation or we're negotiating, if I pause, I'm setting you up to start thinking about things that you're uncomfortable about. Does that same sort of rhetoric work over the internet? And I think that it does. But more than that, it digs down into the idea of of silence. How do you sit with silence? When someone is silent, are you automatically thinking about the things that make you uncomfortable? Are you worried that they're going to say something about you that expose you about something? Or are you comfortable watching them think about an authentic answer because they care about what you're saying? You know, and, and, you know, as I think about that, for somehow, I, I, I really enjoy thinking about thinking. They call that metacognition. And when we think about your one of your favorite philosophies about all of us being a thought in the mind of God. When you look at this map behind me, on all of the maps, whether it's a globe or a big map like this, you see supply chains. Like all like the boat goes to Hawaii, then it goes to Alaska, it goes to California. You see all these little red supply chains. And doesn't that look a lot like the connections in a brain? Yeah. You know, so when, when we start thinking about that, like I think about that same philosophy, Michael. You know, it's it's a very fascinating to think about. 
And isn't it also interesting to think about the way memories are created? The, every time you have a memory, you recreate it. And the more you recreate something, the, the better it gets. When you learn something. Barrier around okay. It. And so now look at all four of us together. When we met, we're like, wow, we all have kind of the same message. A little different flavor here, a little bit of there. But aren't we recreating our own message in a way that's becoming stronger? So I just think it backs up what you're saying. Yeah. That's what I was getting at with my identical twins. I've always said the only way that you could truly be better than yourself is if there was someone there that was you, a clone, that you could compete with. And not having the collective consciousness that I would prefer to have with my clones that I'm going to buy when I get to that um, is not know the unpredictability of not knowing what they're going to think. Because that's what still makes it unique watching the two of them grow up. They are essentially the same person. One only likes one color because of our own sanity to, to distinguish them. But eventually the other one said, you know what? I don't like that color you told me I liked. I now like this color. Well, the other one's like, well, you know, I still like the other one on me. It still looks good. But they make choices independent of each other. And it's just fun to watch God play that game with the same person, but underneath the genetic pre-programming that they got from all my DNA and then my eighth cousin wife meeting down with me. Thank you, uh, 23andMe, for letting me know <laughs> that. But anyways, we're all like eighth cousins. But unless you understand your ancestors and training your angels and where these genet what genetic marker was flipped on, flipped off, and they act as base programs, you, as the operator behind the computer, can look at all the signals that are coming to you and you, the consciousness, the soul, make the decision on how, when, and what intensity, or if you're going to even react. And that, just watching those two is fascinating to me because one's definitely a little bit more mommy and one's definitely a little bit daddy. Their face, Robert's seen him. One's face is just a little bit wider and a little bit longer, but it's the same head, just slightly turned. God just literally did, and that, and I'm done. <laughs> and, but they're two different people. And it, and when they tell us a story of a shared experience, we get camera A and camera B. But it's from this, you know, uh, the rom-com experience, and this is from the Korean drama. And it's like, I think... God is just in, if, enjoying all the variety and possibility, and he's never going to limit us or stop. And that's why I always find it – I'd love to talk about this some other time. I'd love to understand why people think God would send an angel and, and make that guy stop beating that donkey and then let that donkey talk. You know, why events like that? Or then we've got – 5,000 people blowing up in World Trade Center. Where was the God in that? Or, you know, where's the divine intervention? These are these are things that we can keep exploring as a bunch of meat monkeys trying to understand something that may or may not exist outside of our consciousness. I always leave that possibility that, you know, we may be the first generation of intellectual sentient beings in all creation. And collectively came up with a concept of there's got to be something bigger than us because where did all this just 
accidentally, magically fit together that DNA in Hebrew is 10656. And, you know, what? there's too many things that cannot be accidental for me to say, yeah, no, there's no God. It's just, you know, whatever. It's accountability, like Michael said. You are ultimately who you need to hold accountable. You are always going to be who you are. You're the only consciousness that you can fully know exists. But it's like sometimes when you hug Robert, you can smell the cows that he's been around. It's like you really won't know until you can get to more senses. And I think that's what AI eventually is going <laughs> to always be jealous of us is the ability to have such an amazing biotechnology mechanism that we live in, the meat sickle, to be able to experience all these things. And I think we need to, besides exploring alternate intelligence and consciousness, we need to dig up ancient, hidden, occult, meaning hidden, lost secrets. We made all this stuff. We knew all this stuff. We understand. We understood that the first syllable when we breathe and the last syllable we breathe is creation. Our first breath and our last breath, we are speaking creation. Mm -hmm. We do not understand the power of words, frequency, intensity, and emotion. My wife's always like, why do you always have to be so emotional, passionate? If I had flat teeth, I wouldn't be as scary or intense. But that's why I got vampire teeth. Not It's not that I'm a real vampire or 500 years old. But, you know, when I get the technology so, and I'm immortal. That leads to my last question. I mean, I know I know, we already went over time. It's oh, been right. fun. Holy moly, yeah. yeah. Time flies when you're having fun. Hang on, Leslie. Uh, Luke is not the agnostic. I am. <laughs> Question for Luke. For someone who is an agnostic, there are a lot of ideas of what God is. What if God wills life itself? How we got here manifested. Yin Yang Chi. Remember the life force. Then we are all, we are all different <laughs> neuromuscular dendrite intersections of that consciousness, and that we are not limited to tactile, audible, visual on a quantum realm, I can think of the intersection dendrite that connects me to Robert in his brain. I can access the memories, the first time we've ever met, hug, and the more I access that, the scientists have proven these subatomic particles, they, they thoroughly believe that the electron in, in, in all cells is the same damn electron at the same time. Mm -hmm. And if you look at it that way, then that is how God is everywhere. Yeah. And understands everything at the same time. And by God, I mean the higher power that is connecting all of us, the force, whatever you want to call it. Right. And see that that's the same thing from, from an agnostic point of view, 100%. I do not deny the possibility of God. I'm not saying that we are brought here. I, I, the Scientology thing, I'm not really into that. I understand and I, I believe 100% that there is a higher power. 
Now, if his name is God, if his name is Jehovah, if his name is Odin, whatever it may be, I'm not denying the fact that there is a higher power. I understand that from my experiences. I know that from the near-death experience. We'll talk about that, like I said later. I, I feel myself that there is a higher power to it. My understanding of religion because I looked a lot into religion as somebody who was agnostic. I, I searched for the you went group. online and like, oh, become yeah, a minister. I'm an, I'm an ordained minister and through, through uh, one of them. So, I mean. Universal Life Church ministry. Yeah, Universal Life them. Church, which means I'm ordained through all of them. Um, <laughs> but, and it's always been a search for me as finding where I fit in religion. Because I don't necessarily believe that, like I told Luke, with the Mormons, and uh, me and Luke have had this discussion a lot of times, it looks like, well, you know, the Mormons, Mormons, Mormons. And I'm like, you know, I could get on board with a lot of the things that the Mormons believe. But I can't get on board with the main thing that the Mormons believe in. I don't believe in Joseph Smith. Mm. I mean, and these are these are technicalities. We'll we'll right. work that out later. <laughs> but but that's the thing. When I look at religion, is I look at the holes in these religions. I look at the flaws in their ideology, and that's what makes me say, well, you know, yeah, Mormons have a lot of it that I could get on board with. Catholics have a lot of it I could get on board with. Even it's weird to say this, but even if you look at atheist or and and I'm talking about the religion of it, not the not just the people that you know that say they're atheists because they don't believe in. If you look in the actual religion of people, the groups of people, Wiccans, um, atheists, Satanists, all of them have there's, good there's points. There's they truth have, in the the pursuit of seeking truth. And like you said, there's some stuff that you can't get on board on because you don't fully have the information to fill in the holes for you to process it and then come to your, we say, gain a testimony. But in reality, it is have conviction of an understanding of why you believe it or why you don't believe it. Right. So and agnostics have actually gotten a bad rap here recently because people believe they're along the line of atheist. Mm -hmm. Um Look it up. An agnostic is somebody that does not condone or deny any possible belief. They believe in their own truth. And that's that's one thing that I really preach about. One thing I believe everybody should really start doing. That's why I say question everything. Right. Question reality. Question it all. Find your own truth in every situation. What's the word um, agnostic atheist? Uh, is there a word for someone who believes that we are just a random bunch of chemicals and Indignant. What is the word? Indignant. Indignant. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because there that's, are. That's the base belief of Scientology: is the we, we are chemicals. We are we are fundamentally brought together because of the Big Bang. Nothing. Right, and we're just randomly here. It's going to randomly happen, and then just go away, and it's all insignificant. Yeah. Um, then, then there, where's the accountability in that? Right. Where is where is the accountability in that? There is no. I mean, if you in if you were based if your religion was loosely was based solely on that and it wasn't a money marketing scheme, and, and so that Tom Cruise could stand up on a table and beat his chest or whatever, but um, 
if it was just that was pure, the base, the foundation of your belief system, why do you get up out of bed? Why do you wake up or shave? Why do you do anything? Right. What's the where's the purpose of where's the self motivation to keep trying? Today's going to be better. I thoroughly sometimes believe we're living a, a Bill Murray Gray uh, Groundhog's Day experience, but not well, everybody doing the exact same thing every day. Right. One of the greatest things to look at, though, is if there isn't a God, if religion is all a hoax, if if we only use God as a way to excuse ourselves of things that we've done. Oh, God made me do it. God didn't want me to be a millionaire. God didn't want me to have a nice car or he gave me this. He made me win the lottery, whatever it is. If if all that's true and there is no higher power, then why is it that in the moment of death, people try to pray, try to reach out, and try to find spirituality. Is it a basis of fear? Or is it something else? Hmm. Now, you know, I, I, I would like to introduce a different idea. And that is the idea. Change. <laughs> no, it's, it's similar. It's similar because I, I think this speaks to it. But I, I think that we are getting to a point and we have like we've been getting to a point where we can look back on history and we go, wow, a bunch of dummies we were. You know, the, the planets aren't in glass cases. We're not the center of the universe, but we could only see that from the vantage point that we're at now. And if you look at yeah, like okay, so look at our earth, right? Like, doesn't it seem a lot like in our solar system, our earth is the only one that really has life on it? And if if we look, if we just pan back and we go, wow. It looks like our earth is is like pregnant with life. And doesn't it doesn't it seem like we're all eggs in like this cosmic ovary and we are the one that's been fertilized. And as we're growing in this egg, we're becoming more conscious of what's happening. The same way a child grows in an embryo. You know, the, the is is the way we're growing now. There's a very interesting theory called the theory of recapitulation. And that theory says that in the embryo, mankind lives through every existence he's ever lived through before. You start as a tadpole. Then you become one, like you, 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 you inseminate an egg, then you become a tadpole. Then you become like this weird sort of salamander looking thing. And then the theory says that we are, we are living through every stage of evolution in the egg. And wouldn't it make sense that we are that egg and we're about to be born into life. And that's why we're becoming these realizations. We're starting to have real actual thoughts that we weren't capable of when we were in a lower stage of consciousness. And here's where it gets really wild. In the nomenclature, we're always like, you got to go into the light. And this is what you have. This, this touches on what you say, Robert, is that at, at, at death, what do they say? They go into the light. Well, what about at birth? You go through the birth canal into life. And that's why I say we have to go through the sun to live. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I don't know. What do you think, man? Like, I love why it. not? I love it. Why they not? Quantified. They have micro photo uh, photographed the moment the zygote makes the connection in the egg, and it goes from this independent little organism swimming around that they've got robots that can hook up to it and guide. We want that guy to be the winner, but wow. You won yeah. a contest once. You. you, you that one. No matter one. how big of a loser you are, <laughs> you won one time. time. All the other versions of you. And that's how that, you got there. That's yeah. a multiversal probability right there. Yeah. Every possible genetic possibility 
the one with the gimpy leg and the vampire teeth are the ones that that's the one that won. But in that micro second of, of, of those two right chemical situations and right scenario meet, there is a subatomic flash of light that happens. So wait, spark of life. Wait, is, is this gimpy leg vampire? If I won, bitches. If you were the one that won, that's what I'm getting at. If you were the one that won, are you already the best version of yourself? Listen, how do you think I got that gimpy leg? I kicked the last guy out. And it's just, <laughs> the battle scar. So, you guys so see, you, uh, are, you are the best version of yourself already. You are the winner. You are the best version that you can be. My, my challenge, I don't mindset. have to prove anything that my to myself anymore. My challenge is to prove that to everyone else. Yeah. Listen, this is what you get. I won. Accept it. <laughs> I, okay. I know we got to probably wrap it up soon, but um, did you guys, what I was thinking of when you, you were saying that, George, uh, was Altered States. Did you guys see Altered States, the movie Altered States? No. I so don't have in, in Altered States, it's a story about a guy who's experimenting with uh, actually float therapy, which is very mm -hmm. popular now, sensory, sensory deprivation. Right. Um, so you go into a tank of water that's 98 degrees. Uh, perfectly the body temperature you put in you your earplugs. Yeah, you it, can't feel it, anything. You can't else. see, hear, or feel anything, and you just get into this state, um, you know, of, of perfect balance. Or it's it's definitely an amazing experience. But in the movie, the guy was doing it along with like psilocybin and like experimental, ancient, like sacred, you know, rituals, ayahuasca and that kind of stuff. And there was a point where he was metamorphosizing into all of those forms yeah. you're talking about, like a salamander and like a two, a zygote. And like, he was going through that whole evolution. I think in my head, I can remember this scene of him. Were you also him. high while watching it? I think I was too <laughs> young at, at that point. I, I think I was too young, but maybe I'll watch it again. And, and So yeah. are you guys free next Wednesday again? Yeah, I should be. Yeah. Um, religion, I guess. Yeah, this is a Let's lot of fun. Do Let's sure. do it. So, Leslie, Let's, please, please come back if you're. He's got a great comment. If you want to pop it up, yeah, put it up. Yeah, I, I believe you're watching on Michael's. Please join us next Wednesday, and continue this great conversation. But yeah, go ahead, Michael. Uh, yeah, put Leslie's comments comment back up. She's uh, how about this? Our bodies are built to last. We're supposed to live for many centuries. If we followed the vibrational law, the Big Ten, we'd live very differently. We'd have to re-see, relearn everything. Yes, truth is mm -hmm. revealed, and evil is here and distorting and distraction. Uh, anyone, global entertainment, it changes everything to believe in sempiternal. I'm not sure what sempiternal means, the word, but uh, great combo. Women are the portal guys. I've always had, you know, this feeling of of the divine feminine for sure, um, having having a certain connection to life. Obviously, in the in the most simple biological way, but in a more metaphysical way too. You know, I kind of look. Go back I, and watch I, Jane Silent Bob. Dogma showed us. Dogma <laughs> showed us who God was, man. <laughs> Totally. I, I like the idea, you know, when God asks, is it good that man's alone? Nah, it's not good. I mean, and this is great, but this one doesn't look fun. We need to we need to add some other fun parts and creates a balance. 
And I love that how biology and all the parts match and mesh and the right combinations make magic and create more and, and the math works and duplication. But back to what she says. So like if we get to prolonged life, we're huge. And I, I've, I have everything functions and works again and I can hear out of both ears and they're not too far back. And I don't have like predator or prey ears, but predator ears or what I think that's what's really wrong. But then I live out my full destiny as, as an actual vampire. I screw trying to help my kids. If those crotch goblins don't want to listen to me, it's my money, my inheritance. I'm Highlander. I'm immortal. I'm the one. I'm going on a, a headhunting quest. I mean, there'll be all kinds of, you can have all kinds of adventures. If there were, if you will, if they said, okay, everybody, we've been for your closing statement, by the way. Go this ahead. This is my closing statement. If everybody, if we got an, an Amber Alert on our phone and said, hey, everybody has unlimited everything, live it up. That's my last question for everybody. What would you do with the rest of your existence? And what, it, what won't you do? what there's a, there's a, there is a limit there's an accountability i would yeah. i would be happy i would live why aren't you happy now and why aren't you living now no, I, it's okay so what it is is it's accountability so as of right now you're you're talking about a future where i have everything i don't have to pay my bills i don't have to worry about anything so now I work and I worry about bills and I have to pay this and I have to keep my family above ground and floating and all this in, in the society that you're proposing, then I don't have to worry about that monetary process of it. Now I'm able to focus on happiness. The here and now, because time's no longer a worry. Do I have enough time? Will I be able to get around to that? Then you start thinking of, well, what do I take care of right now? Does you that your closing statement? Anyways, yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> Too many closing statements. Um, Luke is on a roll today because he's not right. delayed. He's got good internet. Yeah, we can talk from real time. We figured it out. We figured we, it out. We got him on his computer now. He's not on his phone anymore, so we can uh, actually hear him and everything. Pro tip. Pro tip. Streamyard hates I, I, Apple iOS. Oh. Tablet, phone, computer. They don't talk to each other. Well. Yeah, if That's your guests great. have Apple. Oh. Um, so, Michael, George, Michael, please go first. Your closing statements. Uh, I don't. I don't want to make a closing statement. I want to keep this conversation going. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, I mean, we're is, at the point where we can do two episodes here. Yeah. This is. This is. I mean, there's really so many good things, and all I've been thinking about uh, the whole time we're talking about is this philosophy I have about a song. Uh, music and the way music touches everybody um and that it begins with let's say a beatles song right the beatles like wrote this song they put this intention into this song they wrote it they worked it through they created it they recorded it it became a vibration with an intention that gets played on the radio that you hear and make these connections with, oh, it made me feel happy because this was happening at the time or whatever. And that vibration, that song is constantly out there in the universe, vibrating somewhere. And every time during your life, 
and every time you encounter that song it's it's always out there somewhere vibrating but then in your life you're going to hear it again and again and every time you encounter it it brings back those feelings and those you, those connections that you made with that song so i think music is a, a way that we can actually create a consciousness um, that exists in a form that is not a physical form it's 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 a vibration that's always out there and it's a consciousness that can interact with many people and affect many people you know everybody everybody can relate to it somehow and have their feelings that are associated with it um this isn't a closing statement this is just something i wanted to talk about so maybe next week we'll talk about this you're, um, you're basically saying that your unlimited resources time and everything you become a musician yes that's my closing that's that's <laughs> well, the answer to your question and, so, yeah i want to put that on my note cards because i mean isn't that essentially hypnotism yeah it's a good i don't i don't think so i don't understand i don't i don't understand how that's hypnotism i think hypnotism is a way in which we alienate one sense from the other and and and, and i think that's what's going on with hypnotism but I, i'm not sure that that's what michael well, you, was saying you're training your body so you have essentially trained yourself for these vibrations these specific vibrations that go with mm. that song so now every time that song comes on you get a happy feeling from it because you're bringing back those happy memories so it would be a way to train yourself in hypnotism to you can use it as an association a sensory association sure but it's been proven thanks to the rothschilds influencing music hey let's use 440 hertz because this one's more evil instead of 432 oh my god have you guys looked at the thing about uh see this is why this conversation sucks <laughs> it never ends <laughs> yeah have you guys looked into the thing where um, they're starting to say that they can open portals? Like we, we've seen a mm -hmm. few videos of people saying that they can open portals by playing three different sets of frequency at the same time. I so three, six, nine Tesla was on it, man. Yeah. You, you Tesla play these three different of the universe. frequencies all at the same time. They collide and they open up this portal to this alternate plane. Wow. So therefore frequencies, they're saying frequencies could be the key to travel. Wow. So you can almost have a psychedelic experience just from sound. Sorry. Have, that, no, it's okay. <laughs> I've been hearing some sound heal. I've been hearing some things about sound healing, but I haven't seen, has anyone gone through the portal in which they've opened? No, I haven't seen anybody do that. So there, that's there's my a video point. that gets taken uh, off the internet. There's a guy just sitting in a hotel. He's got a computer. He's got a couple, he's got like a, a speaker device and he plays one frequency and then he's got another one. He shows you where to find him online, and he's very, very engineer. He's, he's that's an the engineer. point that I haven't found is the frequencies. Because if I can find the frequencies, I want it, to yeah. do that yeah. experience. I'm opening the portal. I sent you that man. video. I yeah. sent you that video twice now. Send it to me again. We'll that open up a portal next week. What way. happens is yeah. it only <laughs> opens a, a small hole to somewhere in New Mexico, because he can like then like look stand around it and look at it. But there's a barrier of light. That but do we know away. that's New Mexico? If, if it's really a portal. Then he should call his buddy and say, hey, go be over there and wa watch for my little ball lightning thing that pops up. Because I'm making a bubble in the space-time continuum, and I want to, like, pass my credit card with you. Or something. <laughs> I don't know. That's another thing. It's going to burn up. Like, he's not brave enough to stick his finger in yet. I'm a tester. I want to test this. Um, there's another one about mirrors. 
have you guys seen all the conspiracy around mirrors? Mirrors are an alternate dimension um, because people are using camera tricks to, I, I say camera tricks right now because it's not verified. People camera are using camera mirrors? tricks, um, holding the camera or the mirror right up to their yeah, face, and that, eyeballs yeah. move in different directions or whatever. Well, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, 60 bit, it, it's, 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 it's a refresh rate. Computers and, and they have a refresh rate and ma- up close magicians did, you know, um, internet magicians know the refresh rate. So they train wow. themselves how to hide. They actually teach themselves to move their hand slower because now you see my hand better. But if I'm moving at the actual speed, you not seeing half of the moves I do. So like you looking away, then the light bouncing off the mirror is has it has a delay. But there are some videos well, where up. we gotta get George. so creepy. You're like, <laughs> nope, that was a doppelganger. Mm. Yeah, man. I, I I'll just say this is I love talking to you guys. This is really fun, and I love yeah. the way the conversation flows, and I love the interaction that we have, and I love that we all have like a similar message. I've I've been thinking quite a bit about sense ratios, and I can't stop thinking about it for some reason. And I, whether it's mirror images or whether it's portals or whether it is heightened states of awareness under large doses of mushrooms or LSD or psychedelic drugs, I, I really think that we are on the cusp of beginning to see the world in a way that we've never seen it before. And I would like to challenge everybody to think Try and think differently. Try and see the world differently. And in yeah. doing so, you'll see yourself differently and you'll see your relations di- differently. And I think that breeds authenticity. So everyone should try to do that. Yeah. Um, Great. That You win the closing statements. <laughs> and, and Luke, you win the outfit of the day, by the way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so what about Robert? I don't think he's given one yet. a great movie. We laughed every time. Despite Ezra Miller grooming prostitutes, but um, anyways, no, it's 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 so great that we have these conversations. And like I said, I'm a tester. I, I want to try all these things. If I had the specific list of the megahertz to play through the sound waves and do all this, I will. I will stick my arm through that portal because, as we've talked about before, it's just a finger. We'll find I'm, out. I'm a yes person. And that's that's why we have this show is because I'm a yes person. Luke couldn't find anybody else to do it. And I'm like, give me He's an hour. Champion. That's He's what so I do. It's it's the person I am. It's it's programmed into the core of me. Are you telling the truth? If I see you post a video showing a portal, are you telling the truth? And if you're not, I want to be able to tell the rest of the world you're not. <laughs> and that's that's my most core belief, I believe, is testing stuff, you know. Is there a parallel dimension through this screen right here that I could reach into if it wasn't for the pane of glass right there? Is is there really a veil right beside us that ghosts and spirits are walking in? Is it future? When, when we experience ghosts, one thing that I think about is, is it past or is it future? Am I the ghost to them? Mm. When they, when we have this experience, do they also see something? Is that why they get up and walk out of the room? Are are they doing an experiment looking this, for ghosts, and we are communicating through a timeline warp of radio static? There's been so many great individual podcast topics brought up just in this <laughs> second. 
Somebody better be writing this. Somebody down. better go back and write these down. All right. I, I don't think anybody has has touched on this one. Uh, and uh, I don't know if I can uh, share it or if you could share my screen there. You're, um, you're still up, buddy. I am. Uh, oh, there we go. So this is a the prompt here is a macro photograph of 10,000 tiny human figures living on a pencil eraser. Wow. So, I just thought I would end with that. That's I love it. <laughs> See, and I love the bit. It, it, it helps you to prove a concept, take an idea, a thought that was formulated as an image because your brain's trying to do it. And then now we've got image translators. The internet is an image translator. If you understand how to write code, then you can write prompts and codes in, in CSS and HTML, and it spits out images because it's just pulling it. That's all this is doing. It's pulling reference from stuff and then doing interpolation. But a lot of people don't think visually, conceptually. That's a whole other podcast topic. There are people that walk around where all they see is words or all they feel is feelings. They don't see ideas, images. There's no imagination. This brings me to a, maybe this makes us full circle to the idea that, you know, AI is finally a way for us to develop our imagination. It's a manifestation of imagination. It's a way to translate vision into reality. It's like the, it's, you know what I mean? Like maybe that's what's going on. I think it was Philo Judeus who said that the next form of language will be a language that is beheld. Maybe we're on the cusp and maybe it's back to sense ratios and language. Maybe we are beginning to utter the first words of a new language using our AI. Maybe that's what's going on. I and think always that uncomfortable I dig it. All right, guys. We're going to okay. end the show the same way we started it. We're not going to have anything. We're just going to say bye. Peace. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision and I hope you all conquer it and I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better, your life will be better and you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.